Father, we just thank you, God, for the fact that we can praise you because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of us to sing out to you. You are worthy of us to cry out of your goodness. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, as we look at your word, your precious word, that we never, ever take this word for granted, but we just continue to praise and worship you because you have chosen to speak to us. God, we praise your name. We say thank you. We worship you. We honor you. We give glory to you. God, we are so in love with your word. God, is, that, that, is, that is such a precious gift to us. And we, God, we are so thankful for it. So today, I pray as we look at your word, as we look at what you have to say to us, God, we pr- pray that our ears would be open, our minds and our hearts would be open. God, that this word would dwell richly in our hearts. God, so we can take it out of this place and we might be able to pour it into somebody else and tell them of your goodness, tell them of the fact that God has spoken to them as well. God, I pray that we listen today, not just with the intent, God, of being able to have our own lives changed, but have the intent for us being able to take this word and be used for somebody else's life to be changed as well. God, help us to listen with that kind of intensity, Lord, that we might be able to to take what is spoken here today, take that out into this world, God, and speak that, speak truth and life into somebody else, God, that their lives may be changed as a result. I pray that this word would go out from this place and it would not just stay here. Father, we do so thank you, God, for what you're doing here in this place. And God, we thank you for this word that you've given us. Be glorified now as we look at it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So for whatever reason, here lately, God has really impressed upon my heart um, just kind of the core of what we do here at Simple Church, what is kind of the foundation of Simple Church. Um, I, I, I have had this kind of pressed in on me for the past couple of weeks. I'm not exactly sure what God is trying to show me. Maybe he's trying to encourage me. That's a good thing. Uh, I need encouragement just like anybody else. But what I can say is this, is that I, I went recently to hear David Platt speak, and I was listening to him, and he was talking about the authenticity of Scripture. And he was talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, and just how good God's word is and how we can trust it and we can, we can dwell richly in it. And that, that God is, has chosen to speak to us and how good his word is. And, and I just think that's one thing to hear at Simple Church that we really, we really focus on. And that is the word of God. Because that is the most important thing in my opinion. It is the most important thing that we focus on here within the walls of this church is we focus on the word of God. I was actually pulling up in my driveway this, this week, and there was a man that came up, and he pulled up in the driveway behind me, and I thought maybe I'd run him off the road or something, and he was coming to fight me, and then he got out of the car, and it turns out he was 108 years old, so I was reassured the fact that he wasn't 108. There's some people look like, he was driving at 108? No, but he was older, okay? And, and, and he, he gets out, and he says, are you Kenny Nix? And I said, well, that depends. <laughs> It might be, it might not be. I know where you can find him, though. <laughs> so uh, he, says, he says, are you the pastor at Simple Church? And I go, well, I might be. <laughs> that also depends. I don't know. Uh, he said, well, I just wanted to tell you that um, whatever you're doing down there, whatever is going on down there at Simple Church, that God is truly blessing it. And God is truly impacting this community through that church. And I just, he said, even people that don't go to your church, it's having an impact on them. And, and he, he said, you know, it's just, I just wanted to encourage you in that way. And this is what he said. 
He said he was talking, he's an elder at another church, and uh, he was talking to his pastor, and they were having a conversation about me and about this church, and this is what he said. He said, apparently, the, the big deal there is the way that you just kind of lay the word out there, and, and you just tell it exactly like it is. You just kind of leave it there for people to digest and deal with it, and I was like, that's exactly what we desire to do here in this place, and that is just give you the word of God as it's written, not try to give you some five-point sermon on, on do this or do that or do this. We just look at who God is and how he's revealed himself in his word, and then we just take that and we let God deal with our hearts and we let God deal with, with, with our, our, our struggles and all the things that, that we have needs for. We just say, God, I want to know more about who you are, and then God uses his word to teach us more about who he is, and through that, God begins to transform us, and we just kind of let God do the work. Um, I, I think that there are too many people out there that are trying to do the work and they're not letting God do the work. God's, God's word is sufficient, y'all. We don't have to go and we don't have to make up stuff and we don't have to twist things around and we don't have to make it prettier. We don't have to make the stories more elaborate. All we got to do is tell you what the word says and let God do the work in your heart through his word. That we truly depend on the Holy Spirit to do the work. That it's not us trying to manufacture something or make something happen, that it is God's word that does the work. So that's the reason we focus on God's word the way that we do. That's the reason I preach what they call expositorily, which is to, to take a passage and just read through it and throw light on the things that God has shown us through that passage. And that is what we do here in this place. And I am so thankful that God impressed upon my heart a long time ago that that is the way that I am supposed to approach God's word. And... and, and I know that, that there, there are some that are so frustrated. They're so frustrated because they, they, they go week in and week out and they, 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 they hear the same, you know, five Bible stories they've always heard, you know, and they're like, man, I, I know that I have sat in sermons before going, there's a whole book here. There's a whole, why are, why are we going back and why are we got to talk about once again? I mean, it was great that Jesus calmed the storm and, and that's, that's a perfect illustration for how God can calm the storm in our life. But I don't want to just stop there. I don't want to just, just stay there in, in, in the five or ten uh, New Testament passages that everybody in the world covers. I want to go back and look at some things that maybe you've never heard before. Or maybe you don't know the background on in the Old Testament or why we have the Old Testament or what the entire picture of God's Word is. And that's the reason we do things like we look at the Psalms. And that's the reason we're in the Psalms right now. It's because God is, His Word is so rich and it's, so, it's full of so much that we don't need to, to sell God short by only talking about a few passages or only talking about a few New, Te New Testament books. I mean, we've got to expand our understanding. We've got a great capacity to understand God's Word, so let's use that. Let's use that capacity so that we might understand the bigger picture and what God is really trying to do through his people and how God loves us so intimately. So let's look at God's word. Look at what it says. Let's look at the whole of scripture. Some of it may be hard to understand. I got that, okay? Look, I mean, you know, I, I know you read Ecclesiastes or you read Leviticus and you're like, man, I don't get it. I get that, Okay. But I promise you, the more you understand about the whole of Scripture and the whole big picture of the history of Israel and how they were struggling and what they dealt with and how God was using those people, I promise you, you will be able to look at those passages that seemed hard to you at one point in time. And as you grow, you'll be able to say, oh, I kind of get it now. And before long, you're going, oh, I now I really get it. And I see what God was saying there. That's the process of growth that we're supposed to go through. 
And I believe that God has just impressed upon my heart that, that I cannot just, just teach you guys just like the, the, the same five Bible school stories you've heard all along in Sunday school, that I have to really dig in and we have to look at more than that. We have to look at the whole of Scripture and give the big picture. So here, we're in Psalms 119 today, all right? We're in the 119th Psalm. This is the largest psalm. It is also the largest chapter in God's Word. It's huge. I mean, you like I'm flipping here. It's like you know, there's five, six, seven pages. I mean, like that's that's a lot in Psalm 119. 176 verses. So what we're gonna do is I want to kind of we're not gonna I'm not gonna talk a whole lot about it, but we are gonna go through. All 176 verses over the next three weeks, and we're just gonna we're gonna look at it, and we're gonna read it, and we're gonna see what God is saying to us through Psalm 119. I don't think that we need to skip over it. I don't think we need to ignore it. I think we need to look at it because one of the things that's really unique about Psalm 119, yes, it goes through all of these struggles that we have as human beings, but it talks about how good God's word is, how important it is to have God's word in our life. What God's word does in our life. How it changes our perspective on so many things. So that's the reason I want to look at Psalm 119. It's because it is talking about God's word. It's broken up into 22 stanzas. And each one of those, you may see it has like a header in your Bible. I don't know if it does in yours, but it does not mine. It has a header in there. And each one of those, it's like an acrostic, okay? What is an acrostic? You've heard, you've heard pastors use acrostics all your life, right? So it's where, uh, like the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know what I mean? Like you've heard acrostics all your life. That's what an acrostic is. Each letter represents something. So here we see an acrostic and it's each letter of the Jewish or the Hebrew alphabet. And that is what we see here. And, And some even say that this is how King David taught his son, the alphabet, was using this particular acrostic. So that's the reason it's broken up the way that it is. That's the reason it's kind of divided the way it is in your Bible. And I, I kind of, as I was reading this and looking at it, and it kind of spoke to me as I was reading each. It's broken up into eight verses. Each stanza is broken up into eight verses. And it kind of spoke to me as I looked at each of the eight verses and how, you know, it's almost like poetry a little bit because it's a song. So it's a little bit like poetry. It's, it's poetic in nature. So A poem, in a lot of ways, has a particular format, has a particular structure, because it's supposed to convey something through the structure. So I I was looking at it, and God kind of spoke to me through looking at this passage, and I want to point out something as we go through it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through eight stanzas, or eight verses at a time, each stanza uh, one at a time, and we're going to look at it individually, but I want to point out something that really just kind of jumped out of the page, out of the page at me. Now, let's, let's begin in Psalm 119, verse 1. It begins like this. Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. They have charged us to keep your commands carefully. You have charged us to keep your commands carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed. Then when I compare my life with your commands, as I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Boy, I've said that many, many times in my life. God, don't give up on me. 
look, I'm struggling. I, my life is really ugly. There's a lot of things I need to do differently. It's, it's, I'm in a bad place right now. God, just don't give up on me. Just keep on impressing upon my heart exactly what it is I need to do. Now, one of the things I want to, I want to tell you about this, this passage is that this is talking about the Torah. When he talks about the commands, the decrees, the laws, he's talking about the Torah. So these are the original five books of the Bible, uh, written, most likely written by Moses that we understand. The tradition has said that these are written by Moses. So these are what the, the, the writer is talking about right here. When he talks about his decrees, his regulations. I told you last week that God often talks about two things at the same time. He, he, he can be talking about uh, be, being taken into captivity by the Babylonians as well as being captured by our sin. He can talk about things like being released from the Babylonian captivity while talking about being released from our sin. And through salvation we receive Christ. And, and we, we can be talking about two things at one time. So is, is God here, as we read God's Word and we see how He's talking about the Torah, I want you to think about the whole of Scripture as we know it to be today. As we talk about the things that, that God has, has shown us through His Word, it's not just the, the first five books of the Bible. For us, it is everything, the whole of Scripture, as God has revealed Himself through His Word. And we can think about things like the things that Jesus taught. You know, how He said that we're supposed to look at our lives and the decrees that Jesus made. So when we look at this, I want you to understand that we're not just talking about looking back at five Old Testament books. For us... As, as believers, as Christ followers, we're to look at the whole of Scripture. So I want to point out one thing to you. As I was reading this, I noticed that there seems to be a connection between the fifth verse and the first verse. And each one of these stanzas, I kind of, I, I, I started looking at the fifth verse and then I would go back to the first and I would see how they're connected because there would be a struggle in there and then there would be kind of like, this is the answer to that struggle. So if you look at the first verse, the fifth verse and the eighth verse, you can kind of like see the connection between the, the, the three verses there. So it's not going to be broken up for you that way on the screen, but I just want you to listen to this just for a second. Joyful are the people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Now, it sounds like to me that the psalmist here is saying, man, how do I have joy? How do I have joy? And he talks about integrity. He says, people of integrity follow the instructions of the Lord. Now, integrity, I think about that word a lot. And actually, the valedictorian in my senior class Pre, uh, preached. He did. He preached a message on integrity. For his, his address at graduation, he talked about integrity. And, and I still remember that to this day because he was a man of integrity. Now, one thing I know about integrity, it is not just what you say that makes you a person of integrity. Am I right about that? Because I know a lot of people that talk a good game. You know what I mean? People that, that say a lot of good stuff, but when you look at their actions, you look at what they do, doesn't necessarily line up, and you go, well, I don't know if you're necessarily a person of integrity or not. A person of integrity is going to do what they say. Am I right about that? So, so a, a person of integrity has got real joy, is what the psalmist says here. Look at what he says. Oh, that in verse 5, remember I told you the fifth verse of the stanza, and then the first verse. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. That the, the, the things that I do in my life would consistently reflect what I, what I know to be true. Now, I recognize, I recognize that this is a struggle. 
I recognize how difficult this is in our daily lives because we're pressed in from the world on every side. God's, God's got our backs and we know that, but there is still a struggle that happens in this life where things are not easy and it's hard to keep your integrity sometimes. Am I right? Because you, you think, man, I can take a step this direction and it's just a little bit off the path, but God will forgive me and it'll be okay because I have a gracious God and a loving God and, and you step just a little bit off the path and that's where destruction starts to set in. Before you know it, you're way off the path. Before you know it, you're in a place you never intended to be. And you're somewhere else. And you're looking back going, how in the world did I get here? And it starts with that first step off the path. As you look at God's word, you look at God, what God has intended for your life. You look at the whole of scripture and say, I know God what, what I'm supposed to do. But I just need to take one little step over here for just a minute. It'll only be a second. Then I'll get right back on the path. Am I right? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Yeah, that, the, uh, a, a journey off the path starts with that first step off the path. Am I right? Yeah. So we take one little step, and, and, and you, know, you know what happens to your integrity? As soon as you take one step off the path, as soon as you take one teeny tiny step off the path, you've lost your integrity. Am I right? Because your, your actions no longer reflect what you said. And you're expecting to have joy and satisfaction and peace in your heart. And you're letting your integrity slip. You're letting your integrity fall. And here the psalmist says, joyful are the people of integrity. You want to have true joy, true peace, true contentment in your life? People are like, yes, God, give me that. Give me joy, peace. I want to have contentment in my life. God, give me that. And God says, here's my word, here's my standard, stick to that. And then we step off the path, we lose our integrity, and we go, God, why are you not giving me joy, peace, and contentment? How have you let me down like this, God? And God said, I gave you the standard, I gave you the way you're supposed to follow. You're the one that chose to step off the path, and now you're looking and trying to find joy, and you can't find it. And it's, and it's like we want to point our fingers at God because we don't have that anymore. Does that even make sense? Does it even make sense? You, you want to know how to, how to be joyful? You want to know how to have that peace and contentment that you're looking for? It says, be a person of integrity. Be a person of integrity. That my actions would consistently reflect on your decrees. What you have said, that my life, the way that I behave, would line up with what you said. Wow. I know, right? It's a revelation that I could have joy by following God's plan, right? It's amazing how often we forget that, though. The psalmist is here reminding us. You want to have joy? Have integrity. Verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? Oh, it's for our teenagers. Listen up. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, pray, I praise you, O oh Lord. Teach me your decrees. I recite aloud all the regulations you have given us. I rejoice in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Young people. Now, the good news for me is I just turned 40, so I'm still young. I still fall into this category, young people. Now, some of you are, 
80 years old and you're going, I'm still young. Amen. Yes, you are. you still got a long life to live. Methuselah, watch out. So you're like, I understand. So young people, how can I remain pure? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How do I remain pure? How do I? I mean, this world has got lots of temptations out there, Lord. How in the world am I supposed to remain pure with all this stuff around me? What am I supposed to do? Now, the things that I'm telling you today are things that you already know, but I'm going to say them to you, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Look, look at what the psalmist says here. How can a young person stay pure? How am I supposed to re- remain pure? Obey your word. That's crazy talk, isn't it? Obey your word. Yeah, how, how, do, how do I do the right things? Well, you've got to trust that God's word is the right thing. You've got to trust that what he said is the right way. And your way is not the right way, but his way is the right way. Am I right? How do I remain pure? Lord, show me. How do I remain pure? In such a dirty, filthy, awful, dark world, how do I remain pure? He says, obey his commands. Obey his commands. It's a revelation, right? How, how could that, that possibly be the case? He says, look at what he says. In, remember, I'm going to skip down to the fifth verse in the stanza. So look at verse 13. It says, I have recited aloud all your regulations you have given us. Now, how do you recite something? You recite something because you remember what has been said, right? I know that I'm about to tell you something crazy here, but if you memorize God's Word, if there are things that you will commit to memory in God's Word, the Holy Spirit of God will bring those things to your mind, to your mind, so that you might not sin against God's Word. That's the purpose of doing scripture memorization. Now, am I telling you that you got to remember the King James Version word for word for word? No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm talking about you remember what it says. You remember what it says. Uh, Sometimes people ask me, well, what about this? I say, well, I don't remember exactly where it is, and I don't remember exactly the, the words, but here's what God's word says. In essence, this is what it says. I would much rather you remember what God's Word says than you remember some verse that you recited in Sunday school. My daughter goes to a school where Scripture memorization was a big thing. You recite this verse, and you would have kids, man, I'm going to get 100 on my Bible exam today because I'm going to be able to recite this verse. And they get up, and they recite, you know, 20 lines, and you're like, man, that is awesome. And you go to that same kid and say, that is phenomenal. Can you tell me what that means? I don't know. I don't know. I'm telling you, if you want to memorize Scripture, praise God, do that. If you want to memorize the King James Version of a passage, praise God, do that. But Praise God by knowing what it means. No, 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 understand the context of it. One thing I've impressed upon my daughter's heart is, is you, you got to know the context. You got to know what is being said here. You just can't memorize a verse because you can put any context around it and make it mean anything that you want it to mean. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you can slam dunk a basketball? I'm pretty sure I can't. You know what I mean? I mean, unless the goal is like this hot. But anyway, so. 
what does it mean? What, what, what situation was Paul in? Paul was saying, man, whether I have a little bit or I have a lot, whether, whether I'm wealthy or whether I am broke, poor, I can find strength in Christ. Whether I have, I have found contentment in Christ. I have learned how to be content where I am and what I have. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when, when people recite that verse, you've got to understand the context and understand what it means. So young people, you want to know how to remain pure? Obey his commands. Know what God's word says. Hide it in your heart. Recite God's word. Recite God's word to yourself. Because you've committed it to memory. You've committed it to heart. But you didn't just memorize the verse. You remembered what it said. You remembered what it said. I have to move on quickly. Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. Listen, I am always overwhelmed with a desire for your regulations. You rebuke the arrogant. Those who wander from your commands are cursed. Don't let them scorn and insult me, for I have obeyed your laws. Even princes sit and speak against me. But I will meditate on your decrees. Your laws please me. They will give me wise advice. So he's talking about those who hear the word of God, those that obey the word of God, and those who do not, those who have no thoughts of God, those who have no desire to listen to God. And he says, those people, they're coming at me. The, the, the people that, that have no desire for the things of God, you talk about the things of the world that are pressing in upon you, the things of God that distract you, one of the things that will distract you and press upon you are the people that persecute you and come against you because they have no desire for the things of God. But they are wicked because they are against God, because they have no desire for God. And because of that, they're immediately going to be set at odds from you. If you desire the things of God and they do not, I can assure you whether you're at work or at school or in the confines of your little friend circle or whatever the case may be, that people are going to be against you, especially if they are not in alignment with you and your view on Christ and who He is. You are immediately going to be persecuted as a result now it may not be directly it may be through insults it may be through just sheer opposition being opposed to whatever position you're taking we get into this a lot in political realms and things like when we discuss abortion and you know things that are very big and important to our nation he says he says in the first verse in the stanza Be good to your servant that I may live and obey your word. Your servant, meaning that I serve you. I serve your ways. I serve what you have decreed. I serve you and you alone. He says, but if we look at the fifth verse, it says, you rebuke the arrogant and those who wander from your commands are cursed. So there's two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's me who's desiring to be your servant and those that are cursed and that have wandered from your word. They have wandered from your commands. He says, you rebuke the arrogant. That just by you living your life as a servant of Christ, I can assure you that the, the, the integrity that you have in your life will be a rebuke to those that have no desire for the things of God. And that's going to be a struggle for you. That will be a struggle for you. The fact that you have a desire to follow God and they have no desire whatsoever to follow God, that will continue to be a struggle. 
Look at what he says. He says, your laws please me. They give me wise advice. I know that what you say is true. I am reminded of that. He says, he says princes speak against me, but I'm going to meditate on your decrees. He says, even in the midst of that opposition and the people that are trying to go the opposite way from me and what I'm trying to do to follow you, he says, I'm going to think about you. I'm going to think about you. So you want to know what to do, man. You know, we were asking the question, what do I do to remain pure? Hear his word. Let his word dwell in your heart. Don't forget his word so that the Holy Spirit can use his word. So what do I do when people come against me because I'm a person that follows the word of God? Meditate on his word. Do you see how God is pointing out to us the sufficiency of his word to fulfill those needs and those those struggles that we have in our life that God is showing us over and over again how good his word is and how good his word fills those voids in our life. And that's the picture that we're seeing all through Psalm 119 here. Look in verse 25. It says, I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. I told you my plans and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I will weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands for you, for you expand my understanding. So here, let's look at the first verse. And let's look at the, in this stanza, and let's look at the fifth verse in this stanza, right in the middle. It says, I lie in dust, revive me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. So, so here, here, I lie in dust. It says right in, in, in verse 4 of this particular stanza, it says, I weep with sorrow, encourage me. So you can see that the psalmist here is in need of encouragement. You can see that the psalmist is in a dark place, a, a difficult place. Now, I, I don't believe that this is necessarily because of, of somebody that's come against them here. I don't believe that that's the picture. I, what I see is just situations have arised in such a way that it's, it's difficult to live life. I'm lying in dust. I'm in need of desperate encouragement. What am I supposed to do? If you're in that place today going, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I'm in this difficult place and I've got sadness that's washing over me and I don't know where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to do. God has an answer for that. And you're not going to be surprised by what I'm about to tell you, but it's truth that you have forgotten and that is that God's word is sufficient to handle that sadness and that difficulty that's in your life. It says, revive me by your word. Pick me up. Lift me up. That God's word is sufficient to pick you up and dust you off. When you lie in the dust, God's word will pick you up and dust you off and set you back on your path. Say, remember who I am. Remember what I have said. His decrees are not just the laws and the rules that he set out, but his decrees are his promises to love you, his promises to forgive you. His promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Those are his decrees. Those are the truths of God. So not only are we supposed to remember how to live our lives, but we're supposed to remember that that God is there to encourage us through that. That his word picks us up and dusts us off. That it revives us out of that dark place that we're in. Keep me from lying to myself. Because we talked about this last week, how we tell ourselves lies. 
We tell ourselves that we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we've messed up too many times that God's not going to love us, he's not going to care about us, he's not going to dust us off this time. He says, revive me by your word, keep me from lying to myself, give me the privilege It is a privilege. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Give me that privilege, Lord. Because your word has the ability to pick me up and dust me off and set me back on my path. It is a privilege to know your word. We don't treat God's word as a privilege. And in this, this, this world that we live in, I mean, we talk about this, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. And you know, people say that all the time. This is a terrible place. We're all going downhill. Well, I believe if we were to get focused back on what God says and the decrees that God has made, I believe that it would transform a lot of things in this world, don't you? That if we start following his ways and and his plans, that, that maybe, just maybe, we could turn things around. But in a lot of ways, we're not doing that. We're not meditating on his decrees. We're not seeing God's word and his commands as a privilege to know the things that God has said. We don't look at it that way. We're not looking at it as a privilege. And we wonder, man, how are things ending up this way? I don't know. I don't know. And, and we, we, we look at that in the political realm all the time. We say, man, I just wish those people would read, the God, read God's word and they would follow God's word. Well, let me ask you this question. That's a great thing to say. And I wish they would do that too. But are you doing that? Are you reading God's word and letting it dwell richly in your heart? Are you letting it revive you? Is, is it look like, is it, do you act like God's word is a privilege to know what he has said? Is it just the, the, the people in political office or the religious leaders? Is it just their responsibility to read God's word and hide it in their heart? Or is it all of us? Is it all of us? See, I, I believe that, that when, 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 people's, when, when God's people begin to read God's word and they begin to obey his commands and they begin to walk in integrity and they begin to walk in the light of his word, I believe that they will show them that God's word will show them the political officers and the religious leaders that should be in authority. And they will say, okay, these are the people we should have leading us. Am I right about that? You want to, be tuned, you want to know what, what God's plan for your life is. And we want to be tuned in for God's plan for your life. Then, then what I say is you should go and read God's word and listen to what God has to say. And then you can be more in tune with it. You can't be in tune with it if you don't know what it says. He goes on to say this, verse 33. I'll have to move through this kind of quickly. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands. For that is where my happiness is found. Give me your, an eagerness for your laws rather than... A love for money. Okay, all right, come to the fifth verse. We've got to pay close attention to the fifth verse of this stanza. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise, uh, of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. What does he say here? I don't think I need to talk about this one very much at all. He says in the fifth verse of this stanza, he says, Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. The verse before that says, Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. 
Does it not seem like that we are turning to everything and anything else so that we might be able to find that peace and that happiness and that joy that we're so desperately looking for in our lives? A new car will not satisfy that need. A new house will not satisfy that need. You know what will satisfy that need that you have? This, God's precious word that it is a privilege to know. Teach me your decrees, O Lord, I will keep them to the end. He says, look at that. For that is where my happiness is found. It's not in worthless things. It's things that are, that are rich and glorious. And that is God's word. Renew my life with your goodness. Verse 41 says this. Lord, give me your unfailing love. It's the salvation that you promised me. Oh, you, we need salvation. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Verse 41 starts out, this particular stanza starts out, Lord, give me your unfailing love, the salvation that you promised me. What we need more than anything is the love of God. Then I can answer those who taught me, for I trust in your word. Do not snatch your word of truth from me, for your regulations are my only hope. I will keep obeying your instructions forever and ever. Listen, this is the fifth one, okay? This is the fifth verse in this stanza. I will walk in freedom. He's looking for salvation. He finds freedom. He says, I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm going to be set free. How do I do that? For I have devoted myself to your commandments. You want to know how to be free? You want to know how to receive God's, God's salvation and his unfailing love for you? We, we ask this question all the time. I want to be a recipient of that. I want to, I want to walk in his love. I want to walk in your freedom. He says, I have devoted myself to your commands. I will speak to kings about your laws, and I will not be ashamed, for I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. To hear the psalmist is saying, man, I need salvation. I need to be rescued. How am I going to do that? Do you know that without the word of God, we we?" We could not be saved without God having spoken his word and us having his word and, 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 and Jesus being the living word, the living representation of the promises God has made, that we have no opportunity for salvation. Do you not consider that to be a great privilege, that this book contains the words of life, that this book contains how you can be saved? And you're wondering, man, why am I struggling to walk in freedom? Why am I, I feel so bound by these chains? The question for you is this. Have you devoted yourself to his commandments? Have you devoted yourself to his promises, his words, that he has put in the very palm of your hand? Verse 49, remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The proud hold me in utter contempt. But I not turn away from your instructions. I meditate on your age-old regulations. Oh, Lord, they comfort me. I become furious with the wicked. I got struggles. This is verse 5. I become, verse, in this particular stanza, I become furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. Your decrees have, have been the theme of my songs wherever I have lived. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. Therefore, I obey your instructions. This is how I spend my life, obeying your commands. If you look at verse 53, which is the fifth verse in the stanza, it says, I become furious with the wicked because they reject your instructions. He says he looks around and he sees those that have rejected the truth of God. 
you know that this is the, the only unforgivable sin, right? It's blasphemy is what it's called. It's heresy. It's not truth. Do you know what that is? To blaspheme God? Do you know what that is? I had to have this conversation recently with somebody. I said, well, I rejected God. And I rejected God. And that's the only unforgivable sin, right? Yes, that's true. But do you know what that text is really talking about? It's really talking about the continual rejection of God's truth. If you continue to reject the gospel, if you continue to reject the salvation that God has offered you through His Word and through His Son, Jesus Christ, if you continually reject that, then yes, that is the unforgivable sin because you have never put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Blasphemy against God's Word and blasphemy against God is the continual rejection of the truth. It's not a one-time thing that you do. It is a forever thing that you do. It's not something that you did. It is who you are. He says, I become frustrated with the wicked, those who continue to reject your truth. He says, but it's the only place I find hope. In the first verse of that stanza, he says, remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. It is my only hope. You know what? We get frustrated by people who reject the truth of God. And we get frustrated by the fact that they, they don't receive the truth of God. They're not dwelling on His commands. They're not thinking about who God is and what He has promised us. He said, but I know that that's the only place that I find hope. When I look at the wicked and I look at the fact that they have turned their backs on you, you know what it does? It doesn't drive me further away from God. It drives me to God. It doesn't cause me to turn my back on God when I look at some other people. In the psalmist, in other, other places, you will see that, that the psalmist looks and sees that, that it looks as though the wicked are getting their ways. It looks like the wicked are actually able to prosper, even the fact that they have rejected the truth of God. But the psalmist also goes on to say, but then I consider their end. I consider what the end of their life looks like. I consider where they're going, their final destination. And I go, you know what? I'd rather keep God's ways than I had pursue the ways of the wicked. He says, this is the only place I find my hope is in your word, in your commandments. Look at what he says, the last verse. And this is where we're going to wrap it up. It says, verse 56, it says, this is how I will spend my life. Obeying your commandments. It's the only place I can find hope. It's the only place I can find peace, contentment. I look around at the wicked and how they reject you. Sometimes it looks like they're prospering, but I know the truth. I know the end result. Why does he know the truth? Why does he know the end result? Because of God's word. Because God's word gives us the, the final picture of what happens in the end. Is God's word a privilege for you to know? Is it something that you choose to hide in your heart? Is it something you think about when you're struggling, when you're down on yourself, when you're, you're, you're pressed in upon things of the world? When you look at those that persecute you and you look at those that have no desire for the things of God and they're beating up on you every single day, do you turn to the Word of God for comfort? That, that's, that's the beauty of God's Word. It gives us, it, it is so sufficient, it gives us all of those things that we're going to continue. We're going to look at the... Uh, the next set of verses, we're going to look at all 22 stanzas because it's talking about how good God's Word is. Is 
God's word, is it good to you? If it's not good to you, then I have this question for you. Are you dwelling richly in God's word? Are you meditating on God's word? Today, we're just going to have a time of praise. And we're going to praise him for his word. If you feel like you need to come down here and pray and praise him, please do so. If you feel like, you know what, God, I need to repent because I have not depended on your word like I really need to. Your word is so good and it's so rich and it's so full and I need to have a greater dependency on it. God, help me in that. Come down here and pray. If you have never received salvation and God has revealed to you that his word is the source of salvation through his son Jesus Christ who is the living word. Come down here and pray and ask God to save you so that you might walk in freedom. This is a time for you to just respond to God in whatever way God has impressed upon your heart. Just respond to him. Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious word and how it speaks to us. Thank you for the fact that you never give up on us and you continue to show us the truth of your word. Lord, maybe we'd be a people that find our hope and our strength in your word and your word alone. Lord, we look to so many other worthless things. God, sometimes we look to money. Lord, I just pray. God, we'd only look to you. And God, you have revealed yourself through your word. And God, we look to so many other places. We forget. We forget how good your word is and the fact that it is a privilege to know it, that it holds the very words of salvation exist in your word. So, Lord, help us to meditate on those things. Help us to remember of your goodness. Help us to, Lord, dwell richly in your word. Help us to meditate on your word because we have hid it in our hearts. God, we so desperately need you. We confess that we need you. Lord, I pray that we remember that we can find you in your word. Lord, thank you for the sufficiency of scripture and the fact that it has everything that we need because it shows us who you are and the ultimate thing that we need more than anything else is we need you. So, Lord, today we acknowledge that and we acknowledge our desperate need for your word. So be glorified now as we respond to you in whatever way you've impressed upon people's hearts. I pray that they would respond to you in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?